Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for being at LifePoint today. Uh, you heard Austin mention the welcome experience. If you're here for the first time, you'd like to know a little bit more about our church or you've been coming for a while, we would love to have you come and be part of that welcome experience. As you go out those doors, uh, the room on your left, right there in the lobby, it's got a sign on the door that says welcome experience. We'd love for you to come in for about five minutes, eight minutes, something like that, and just hear a little bit about our church. So we've been talking about over the last several weeks, uh, timeless. And we're talking about timeless truths that They've stood the test of time. They've been around since the beginning of Christianity. Since the church began 2,000 years ago, there are some pillars that have identified the church, and they've also been characteristic of people who follow Jesus Christ. And that's what we're talking about for the first part of this new year, is what are some of those timeless principles we can implement into our lives? Several years ago, I met this guy that lived under a bridge. His name was John. And John would ask me for money. And my suspicion was he was probably going to do something he shouldn't with it, but I, I gave him a little bit of money anyway. And then he found out what coffee shop I went to, so he would show up there because that's the guy that would give him a few bucks. And I would give him a few bucks, and, and some things just really were clear about John. He, he didn't shower often. I could tell, uh, but he was, he was just a good soul. He just wanted to talk. So John and I would talk, and he would tell me about his life, and he was actually an artist, and through some really bad things happening in his life, ended up homeless, lived under bridge. Everything that he possessed, he pushed around in a cart, and one day he said, well, you know what I do with that money you give me? And he had all these art supplies, and he would go and buy art supplies, and then he would sell the pictures for money so he wasn't bumming money for food or whatever. He was saying, could you help me buy these art supplies so I can help make money so I can eat? And so every time he asked, I gave him whatever he needed. And it was like, you know, 20 bucks, 10 bucks. And I would give it to him and he would walk away. And I would feel bad for a while. Like, that's really bad that he, that he lives like that. And then I would go on with my life. You probably have a similar story where you see somebody that's really down, that bad things have happened in their life or they've made some really bad decisions and they're suffering the consequences and you feel bad for them and then you go on with life. Well, today's timeless truth that has, it's identified followers of Christ for centuries is compassion. What does it mean to show compassion to someone else. We're going to look at a couple of stories in the ministry of Christ and how he tells us, his followers, to show compassion. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, all you got to do is raise your hand. You can have that. It's a free Bible. You can take it home with you. If you need it to follow along, you can do that. I'll also put all the verses up on the screen. For the last 30 years, the University of Michigan has been doing this study about compassion. Actually, it ended in 2009. So from 79 to 2009, they did a study on 14,000 college students to find out their levels of compassion and how it might change over time. Now, how would you know through a study if someone feels compassion? They ask questions like this. I sometimes try to understand my friends better by imagining how things look from their perspective. And then they would rate the level that they felt that. 
or I often have tender, concerned feelings for people less fortunate than myself. And then they would rate that. And just question after question like that, 14,000 students over 30 years. And the first decade, there wasn't a lot of change. It kind of just stayed the same. Uh, whatever they came up with, the next class was about the same, the next class was about the same. But what they've noticed in the last decade that ended in 2009 was a very sharp decline in the way they answered these questions about compassion. In fact, by the end of this study, they discovered that people were 40% less compassionate than they were 30 years ago. And they attributed it to a few things. One of the things is simply people don't get outside enough. That more people, especially young people, stay inside and are entertained by something indoors rather than being around people outdoors. I saw recently where the generation right now that's growing up, the little kids, they will experience about 80% less outdoor time than previous generations. Now that has a lot to do, almost everything to do with technology, which is one of the other reasons they believe that compassion is going down. Not just technology, specifically the rise in social media. Now, I'm not just going to bash social media because there's some really good things about it. You may have found out about our church on social media. You may have found out some things about my life that you didn't want to know on social media. Really, him? I don't believe that. So I'm not just going to bash it, but we have to acknowledge that it does have the potential to have an extremely negative impact on our lives. Here's why. It encourages us to focus on ourself. And when we are focusing on ourselves, it's harder to focus on other people. We take pictures of ourselves, hiking, eating, at church. I've seen pictures of me that people take while you're sitting out there. We take pictures of our pets. We say what we believe about things without really thinking about Maybe this would be better to have in a conversation where we can have an honest discussion and maybe even disagreement about whatever's going on in the world. But I'll just say what I think because I don't care what you think. And so I'll just put it out there. So I looked up, well, how do you take a really good selfie? And Seventeen Magazine came to the rescue. <laughs> I got the top 10 tips for taking the perfect selfie. Now, some of the teenagers down there, they're like, read that. Maybe you could have written it. And I won't go through all 10 of them, but it was things like tilting your head just the right way to get the perfect shot, to accentuate your cheeks and, and, and you're just your best profile. Just tilt your head just right. And if the light's too low and you want your cheekbones to really shine, you put highlighter, yellow highlighter on them. Take your picture. If you want to look a little bit thinner, here's what Seventeen Magazine says. Just po take the picture a little up high. Now, I'm going to look online today, and everybody's going to have pictures like that. <laughs> That's what it says, and I can tell some of you that I share social media space with, you've already read that article. Uh, find the pose that makes you feel good about you and use that one. Fan your hair. So you just, you know, it looks like the wind is blowing, you know. And, and be sure you download the app that removes blemishes. 
that can fix the double chin, that can take a few years off, and that can whiten your teeth and make you look 10 pounds lighter. Those actually exist. And if you're wondering how that guy or girl looks so great still from high school or college, now you know. Now you know how they do it. They've discovered all of this. It's clear. Science shows us this, that when we look online at something we've posted, the same triggers in our brain go off as when a person who's addicted gets a hit. So it increases the dopamine levels in our brains when we look back and get approval from something we've said or something we've posted. We go back to check, how many likes did I get on that one? And if it's Facebook, they even send you every now and then, here's your most liked picture. And so you look at that and think, well, I got to recreate that again. However, I got that many likes, I got to do it again. Now, what does this have to do with our levels of compassion? When we focus on ourselves more, we focus on others less. And it's a struggle to not just focus on ourselves. Now, social media isn't evil. It's used for a lot of good things. A lot of things uh, to do with awareness. But you can't have compassion if you mostly focus on yourself. Compassion requires that I focus on another. And so no reason, there, no, no wonder there's a 40% decline over a 30-year period in compassion. It's because we live indoors more. Kids don't get out and get to know each other like they used to. You can ha- a relationship that's online is a very different kind of relationship as far as how you communicate than one that's in real life. Another thing that social media does, other than having us focus on ourselves, it desensitizes us. So you're scrolling through and you see, great recipe. Somebody got another new car. Somebody went on another vacation. A hungry child that needs support. Something, stats about abortion, stats about sex trafficking. Cucumbers scare cats? (laughs) I didn't know that. And you're just scrolling and you see all, and then uh, Christians getting their heads cut off in, in some other country. And it's all packaged there together and we just see it over and over and over and just all of this information comes to us and it's information overload. And so information overload can cause us to be desensitized to the things that are going on around us. So when we uh, have a day where we're asking you to sponsor kids around the world or kids at the church that we planted in Ecuador, the, the second church we planted in Ecuador. We're gonna be asking you to sponsor kids again this fall when the third church gets planted in Ecuador with the generosity from here. And we'll put up a child on the screen that's gonna talk and you're gonna get teary-eyed and it's gonna make you feel horrible and we do that on purpose. <laughs> to make you feel like $38 a month is easy for everybody to come up with because you spend that much at Starbucks in less than a month or a dinner with the family. Why do we do that? Because it takes a jolt to let us see what's really going on in our world. So what does the Bible have to say about compassion? Jesus actually mentioned it. And others observed Jesus practicing compassion. Jesus performed miracles, Jesus healed people. He did that over and over again. When he saw someone in need, he would seek to meet that need. And there's a 
section in the New Testament book of Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 35, where Matthew records Jesus showing compassion. And it says this, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said this, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Now we would expect Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to have compassion. I mean, nobody would say, Jesus had compassion? That's a shock. I didn't know Jesus had compassion. But Jesus also realized there's so much need in the world. There's so many people need to feel God's love, need to feel and sense his presence in their life. There's so much more need than we have people. And so this harvest of people is many. But the people willing to go and share with those people are few. And so Jesus is trying to acknowledge, I'm having compassion on these people because they're hopeless. They're wandering around. They need direction. They have needs that only I can meet. They've got issues in their life that only I can help them with, physical and emotional and relational. But he's saying, I can't do it all. There's a big harvest out there. I just need more people to help me do it. And so he asked his disciples to do something. He said this, so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Now pray, well, I can do that. That's easy. But he's not saying pray, just pray. He's saying pray for what? Workers, people that will go and people that will do. The word in the original language that's in the New Testament for compassion had to do with a feeling that you got deep in your gut. And the way they talked about the gut was not like we do. It was more like the heart, the way we talk about the heart. So they would say, deep in your bowels, you feel this. That's the same as us saying, deep in your heart, you feel this. That's what compassion was. The English word compassion, if you look at where that word came from, it comes from a Latin word that, that literally means co suffering. See, it's more involved than just looking at somebody and saying, I feel really bad for you that you're in that situation. That really gets to me that there are hungry children or there are people stuck, young women in sex trafficking. That really, that really makes me feel bad. Compassion says, I want to be involved in being a solution for what's going on that makes me feel bad on the inside. It's an active desire to alleviate another's suffering. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Compassion is recognize, recognizing a need and doing something about it. Compassion is recognizing a need and then doing something about it. So if you feel bad, you're halfway there. So when we put those pictures up there in a few months and it makes you feel bad, you're 50% of the way to expressing compassion. You have to do something about it. Compassion and action cannot be separated. Recently, 
our, all of our groups at LifePoint had the opportunity to get a grant that would help them reach out to our city and serve. And I'm already hearing stories about where our groups have served in our communities and where they're going and making a difference and where they're showing compassion. Not just talking about it, not just reading what Jesus had to say about it, but seeing a need and doing something about it. Every person in this room has the ability to see the needs around you. But not everybody has the desire to do something about it. But if you're going to have compassion, you have to not just see it, you have to do it. Now, it's easy to say, well, if I help people, I'll get ripped off. You will. You will get ripped off. One time, I was working at a different church in another state, and, this, and my office was closest to the door when people came in. And so guess who gets their door knocked on and says, hey, we would like uh, some money. And one day, there was nobody at the office. I couldn't get any to any of the petty cash, so I took my money out of my pocket, and I, I told the guy, I said, I got 20 bucks. I said, this is all I have. We have a little baby at home. I don't make a lot of money, but I'm gonna give you this money. And if you are not telling me the truth, God will get you back. <laughs> this is true. He left. He came back. He gave me my money back and said, I was gonna buy alcohol with that. And what you said really bothered me so bad. I don't want God after me. <laughs> and I was like, thank you very much. You know, and I took my $20 back and I put it in my pocket and the guy went on his way. So try that maybe, but just, just... <laughs> Just help people. And sometimes you're going to get burned. I have been burned. But I would rather be burned trying to show compassion than not do anything because I refused to do anything about the needs in the world around us. I would rather be burned trying to help than sit home and not help at all. You know, one of the things that I really want our church to be known for is showing compassion to our community. And we're serious about that. Because some of you are thinking, well, I want to show compassion. I'm not really sure where to go because maybe you don't want to get ripped off every single time. And, and so you're looking for direction and guidance. And as a church family, how do we empower each other to serve our community in the name of Christ? And one day about a year ago, I was just thinking, if our church closed its doors, just shut down, other than those of you who come here and sit every week and enjoy all that LifePoint does for you and, and all that this church means to you, other than us, would anybody in our community miss us? Would people that have never been through the doors of LifePoint Church at any of our campuses say, I really miss that church because they did this? And I was having a hard time coming up with what they would say. Now, I know what you would say. I mean, it's a place where you, your kids learn about Jesus and all the good things that happen in your life because of it. But, but what would people say that don't know us when they drive by and the sign says closed permanently? Would they miss us? And that really bothered me. And I thought, we need to have a way to make sure our church is mobilized to reach our community. And we need to have a way that we, we make sure that our community is aware of LifePoint Church and how we can help them take next steps to connect with God. And so we've asked somebody to join our staff. Her name is Jacqueline Brewer. There's a picture of her and her family. And she uh, has joined our staff as 
our missions and outreach director for, for local and for global, and her job is, is twofold. Here's what she does. Jacqueline's job is to help create opportunities for you to show compassion, the church to show compassion to the community. Not, she's not gonna go do it all. She's gonna help us figure out and provide opportunities to serve our city. That's one thing she's gonna do. And you're gonna be seeing opportunities to help with that and get on a team that's gonna help make that happen. And we are already selecting certain organizations in our city we can partner with to really make a difference. And another thing she's responsible for is helping our community be aware that our church exists that we're a church that wants to help them connect with God. So taking the church into the community and bringing the community into the church, that's her job. She's experienced at it. She ran a nonprofit that helped people get gainfully employed through life skills called Higher Level Ministry. If you've ever heard of that, we partnered with them for years. She's not doing that anymore. She's gonna be working with us at LifePoint to help us be better at taking the church into the community and bringing the community to the church. First big event is on March 25th. We're having a huge food truck rodeo concert, things for the kids out in the parking lot. That's all for the community, the church community, but also for our city. And you'll see more about that uh, in the coming weeks. So you can be a part of that on March the 25th. But through teams that she's gonna identify at each of our locations, we are going to be a more compassionate church and not just recognize needs in our community, but do something about them. We also have to realize that compassion at the end of the day requires action, not just talking about it. That's why we said, are we willing to bring this person onto our team to do this? And I said, absolutely, we must, because we're not just going to talk we are going to do because compassion is recognizing a need and doing something about it. Back when we had just one child at home, it was 1997, we were celebrating, getting ready to celebrate Thanksgiving. I was a college minister at Louisiana State University and it was getting close to Thanksgiving and we were planning our Thanksgiving meal. We had international students that didn't go home, and so they were gonna come to our house. And one day I ran into John, the artist. And as I was talking, it became clear that he wasn't gonna be eating anywhere on Thanksgiving Day. And so I asked John to come to our house. And then it became really clear he was extremely uncomfortable doing that, coming to our house. And so Thanksgiving Day, 1997, myself, my wife, and our little, almost two-year-old child went to Shoney's. I don't even know if Shoney's still exists, but we went to Shoney's with some international students, and we had Thanksgiving dinner with John. And the impact that had on those students the impact it had on me, and we sat and we talked to him. It was raining that day. He was wet. He smelled bad, and we sat there at Shoney's, and we had Thanksgiving dinner together with a guy that probably thought nobody in the world cared about him, and we felt good about that. We gave him some money for more art supplies. We prayed with him, and we wished him happy Thanksgiving, and then we went on with our day. Not too long after that, I'm in my office, knock at the door. John shows up and hands me this. That's from John. I've never 
had any contact with him since actually that day because we moved just a few months after that to come to Raleigh. But I keep that picture. And every time I look at it, I think about John. What did that do to his life? I don't know, but this reminds me. The compassion is more than just feeling something. Compassion is doing something. Jesus actually talked about what will happen when he separates the righteous and the unrighteous. There's going to be a day that that happens. It's just the reality. Consequences are gonna happen for everybody. Now, for those that have followed Christ, it's gonna sound like this. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me some clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of these, to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Jesus is saying, I, you know, I wasn't, the college kids that were with me, we weren't serving John. We were serving Jesus. And when we look into our community and see the needs that are there and do something about it, we're not serving our community, we're serving Christ. Every person that's freed from poverty, every person that hears the message of Christ, every person that feels a little hope, every person that's rescued from things like sex trafficking, every single one of those, Jesus will look at our church one day and say, when you did that, you were doing that for me. Compassion requires action on our part. And that's gonna look different for every single person. As a church, we're gonna pick some things and do it together. But for you as an individual, there are things that you're passionate about, that you have compassion towards just because of the way God made you. Just because of your personality, there are some things that God is going to prompt you with that you need to do to show compassion. I want you to see a story. One of our staff members, Nicole, Humphrey and her husband, Chad, who showed compassion in a, in a way that maybe you won't show compassion, but it's a way that will change lives forever. Take a look. So we've talked about this a lot and about how a lot of times we, we try to write our own story. Um, and in this case, we did try to write our own story. And every time we've tried to do that, um, God seems to take the pen away and start writing a story for us. In 2008, I was diagnosed with infertility and it was really hard because we so badly wanted to have a family and we tried fertility treatments and failure after failure after failure and it was just like, all right, God, what's, what's going on here? We were trying to figure out like, why would God place this incredible um, desire on our hearts and like our just a passion in us if we weren't intended to become parents. And so after infertility treatments, we pursued adoption. And because we, we knew that, that we could be good parents and we had a home that was, was open and ready for, for a child to be in. So we've been in like a year in and I remember um, 
I remember calling Chad and it, it was after one particular really, really emotional phone call um, with a potential birth mom and, and I remember calling Chad and just saying like, I can't do this anymore right now. And then that next morning, <laughs> that next morning I woke up with morning sickness, which was crazy. I remember us just sitting there after Caleb was born and thinking, okay, wow, and, and just um, telling each other, okay, we've seen what God can do, like, as far as planning for our family's future, like, let's just see what else God has in store. At that point, we're like, all right, let's try, you know, let's get back to the doctor. Yeah, fully, I mean, we fully expected that we were going to go in, sit down, talk to his doctor, and he was going to line up a plan for us to, for whatever treatments, yeah, whatever, exactly. whatever options were out there for us. And, and it was crazy. Um, he met with us for probably two hours, started talking to us about mission trips that he took in Haiti and, and ministering to people. And it just, it was like, he looked at us and it was like, like he asked us questions about like the things we were scared of and the things that we had questions about and he challenged us, you know, he challenged us about how God has made us and things, the, gift, the gifts that God has given us and the gifts that he, he hasn't. And, like, we sat there in this doctor's office, and it was like, literally like time stops. In this moment, we knew that God wanted us to grow our family through adoption. And after our previous experience, it was, it was kind of tough to, to have this, this feeling come in so clear after after what we had gone through in the past and we didn't we knew at that moment that this is what we were supposed to do so it was right around christmas that we found out that we had been chosen um, to be matched up with a little boy a little four-year-old um, that needed a home so january 27th um, our little riley came home We may not be able to make it through this part. <clears throat> Knowing that our family is, is a family of four now. Knowing that God has called us to this and knowing that we, we have like answered that call, that we've taken action, that we've said yes, like we, we've looked at God and we've said yes. And it's like the hard, it feels but it feels, it feels full. It's hard to imagine our family any other way. That may be your way of showing compassion, but there may be some other way. That God is really arranging your life so you can act, so you can do something. Compassion is not just feeling a need or recognizing it. It's doing something about it. I hope today as I've talked through what compassion is and how Jesus expressed it, that it motivates you to show the compassion that he would have us show.
imagine, just imagine if everybody in our church said, I am not just going to recognize needs, I'm going to do something about it. It can be overwhelming. I mean, I've worked with Nicole. What they're doing is overwhelming. And if you've done that, you know that it's overwhelming. Anytime that we look at the needs in the world, it can get overwhelming. But what if all of us got serious about doing that? I think the prayer that Jesus asked us to pray that there would be more workers for the harvest will be closer to being fulfilled as you go and you express compassion. What if you pray, God, help me be aware of the needs around me. I mean, for you, it might be adoption. It might be recognizing the needs of those around you. It might be rescuing people from poverty. It might mean getting to know refugees in our city who are away from their home. It might mean helping people who are in trouble. It may mean something different for every person, but it's showing compassion and it's doing what Christ asked us to do. Compassion is recognizing a need and doing something about it. Go do that. Let's pray. Father, we live in a world that has so many needs, but we also have so many conveniences, God. Help us who have so much not to allow our conveniences to get in the way of showing compassion. And God, may we use all that you've given us to let the world know that there's a God who loves them, cares about their needs, cares about their hurting, and he wants to know them. God, I pray right now today that you would empower every person in this room to go and be a person of compassion that spreads the love of Christ because of the love you've given them. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.